holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Buckle up, because Metro is bringing you the best deal in wireless. Switch to Metro and get your choice of two awesome free phones from top brands like Samsung and LG with huge HD screens and tons of memory for all your pics and videos. So hurry into Metro and get your awesome free phones only at Metro. Plus sales tax and activation fee. Requires port and of eligible number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Limit four per account or household. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions. Welcome to the Formation Lab. This week in racing, there's things that happen presumably. And stuff that could have happened, may happen. Who knows? <laughs> it's, it's, it was kind of a slow week, but uh, hey, we're here. We have a ton of IndyCar uh, content for you. We have So a, excited. We have a ton of F1 news, some of which could be poppycock, some of which could be accurate. We'll get into that. That was for our UK listeners. Yeah, but first, cue the tunes. This is the Formation Lab. Welcome, everybody, to the Formation Lap, the only podcast available exclusively through four-panel rage comments found exclusively on the I Can Has Cheeseburger Network circa 2011. How do you do? Keep scrolling through. I'm sure you'll get through all of the F1 news, as well as some late epic wins as you carry on through this podcast. <laughs> Where do you come up with that stuff? How? What? That is some deep cuts, like meme culture stuff. Wow. Well, you know, originally we were on the Jeremy Renner app, and then we had to. We were forced to move to twenty second increments through TikTok. Well, yeah, because the Jeremy Renner app was founded by the same guys who did Rich Energy. <laughs> So it didn't stick around that long. <laughs> Not literally, but in, in, in hypothetical forms, yes. <laughs> May as well have been. May as well have been. But then, you know, TikTok kicked us off because apparently we weren't quoting enough TV shows and we weren't like, you know, e-boys. So we weren't dabbing quite enough. So we had to Wait, move. Wait, did I not quote the Kardashians enough? No. I'm so sorry to the royal family. Yeah. <laughs> Amer- America's royal family. Oh, man. God help us all. But uh, so, you know, they kicked us off of TikTok. We weren't dabbing quite enough. So now we're ex- available exclusively through Four Panel Wage Comics. So, welcome, everybody. I'm Luke. I'm Tim. And this is the Formation Lab. We have a, a kind of a quiet week this week in the world of racing. Um, there was some news, but there weren't a lot of races going on. Uh, IMSA had a, had a couple of races. Those were fun. Uh, I had a good time over at the track. But uh, Laguna Seca saw some really great racing between the Corvettes and the GTs. The mm. last time we will see the official Ford GT, uh, you know, the sponsored car by the by the company of Ford uh, on the track in the red, white, and blue holy cow livery. Uh, and the last time we will see the front-engined Corvette. Oh, I mean, the howl is going to be great, but I'm so excited I'm, for the mid-engine Corvette. That's going to be epic. I'm happy I got to see those those cars at Daytona before they're, uh, I don't want to say retired, but before it, it drastically changes from something that you, you know and love to something different. I'm glad I got to see them at least once. So the, the sound of the IMSA Corvette 
<laughs> is just something to behold. <laughs> the the sound of the sound of IMSA altogether is just great because you get you know an, an F one in an indie car. You know I love the indie car noises that the engines make, but it's it's all one instrument. IMSA is like a, a symphony of a jillion different you know engine noises. The BMWs last year didn't even make a noise; they just sounded like a whoosh. And then you have the Lamborghinis screaming at their high pitch. You have you know the four GTs that sound like they're about to punch you in the face. That you know they're rocking out to Metallica while they're driving type. Right. It's IMSA to me is second to none when it comes in to, when it comes to listenability of, of all the engines. It's I a symphony. Have it right here. Uh oh. Uh oh. Are we gonna play it up. through the through the mic? Mm. Mm. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Oh, we're going to miss you. That was from the 2014 24 hours of Daytona with the Corvette. They haven't changed that masterpiece of an engine in nope. a long time. But nope. as all good things must come to an end, so must that version of the V8. Now, I have every faith and confidence that um, Chevy is going to keep <laughs> us well taken care of with the new mid-engine. It's going to sound insane. Yeah. Uh, and how Chevy made a mid-engined, essentially a supercar with, a, you know, the V8, with how with how it's nicely decked out and appointed with all its finishes for under $50,000 is amazing to me. Yeah. Because Ford did it with the GT, but that costs north of $400,000. <laughs> so you're going to have to sell a couple body parts and some organs you're to get that. You're telling me the Ford GT isn't, isn't cheap? <laughs> That, that is what I'm telling you, yes. <laughs> uh, one of my finest live racing moments was uh, 5 a.m. or so this year at the 24, was uh, watching the uh, the Corvette just absolutely lose it uh, going into turn uh, one at Daytona, or was it turn two? Whatever the one, the hairpin onto the uh, infield course, lose it in the rain, and you saw this Corvette go from just screaming to, oh my gosh, it's fl- it's gone 300 feet aquaplaning into the walls. It was it was beautiful, but let's talk about something this coming this coming weekend uh, that is going to be be- beautiful. The IndyCar season finale. It all comes down to Laguna Seca. There's a you know there's a bit of a points gap between the leader and uh, Alexander Rossi but and not Simon Pagenaud. Enough for him to be comfy. No, and that's the beauty of it is that there's just enough le- there's just enough tightness there that uh, the jo- the Joseph Newgarden just can't. Be comfortable. He can't. Uh, he can't afford to be lackadaisical with it. Uh, it's interesting to me. Uh, it's a brand new track on the IndyCar grid. I had to go look back through Wikipedia, through my media car, through my uh, IndyCar media guide. Here, there's only four racers with experience at Laguna Seca. Without looking at the outline, can you guess who they are? Uh, I'm going to go with Scott Dixon. Thing. Uh... We talked to one of them. I was going to say, I'm going to blank on the rest. Go ahead. Simon uh, Pagano? Uh, no. Tony Kanan, Ryan Hunter Ray, and Sebastian Bourdais. Tony Kanan. I'm yeah. excited to see him, <laughs> see him do that. He's, I love that guy. I love the I love the uh, I love the back and forth between Tony Kanan and Ed Carpenter. Tony Kanan saying, 
I'm 32. I, I don't know what you were talking about. I could show you my Brazilian passport. His head got so bent out of shape. He goes, <laughs> like, guys, I'm a solid 38. I'm an honest <laughs> to God 38. Okay, I'm 32. <laughs> oh, okay there, Ed. I'm an honest to God 38. I don't know. I could show you my birthday. It's March whatever it is, uh-huh. 1981. I'm honest to God 38, guys. So great. Uh, anyway, but uh, only four drivers come in there with, with any experience, and that makes, to me, Joseph Newgarden's title shot a, a bigger question mark going into this weekend. He's only tested at it in February, as have most of the IndyCar or all the IndyCar drivers on the grid. And uh, he, Joseph Newgarden, had a little bit to say about this as well. You know, to come to kind of a wild card event like at Laguna Seca, where we don't have a lot of knowledge. Um, you know, me specifically, I don't have a lot of knowledge about the track. And I think a lot of guys going in that, that have never raced there, they don't either. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to create a lot of unknowns. And I think it's still a difficult task for us to, you know, make sure that we hit everything right and, and have a solid weekend. That was uh, Joseph Newgarden talking about this weekend. And it's an interesting point to me that the season finale race is this race with all of these unknowns, with all of these question marks around it i you'd think you'd think at the end of a season it would be the one race where it's just you know a, a knockdown drag out fight but there's a lot of unknowns going into this race and that is kind of an interesting point interesting point i want to stick on that for a while tim what are your feelings on having a what is effectively a brand new track close out your season i love it i absolutely love it you can't come in and see a favorite it's a great way to end the season with something nobody knows, and it's going to come down to your raw talent as a driver and whether or not you can adapt to the corkscrew at Laguna Seca. I'm really excited to see the cars go through there at speed. Um, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Watching cars go through the corkscrew is fun because it, you can you watch the front end of the car just almost drop. I mean, like, there's not space. You can watch this, you know, the... the the shocks and, and you know, the the actual uh, motion of the car just kind of go, oh, shoot, I need to catch up with the ground that's fallen out, fallen out beneath me. Exactly. It's like pull, it's just like pulling a table, you know, out from under somebody. It's like rolling a ball off a table. They just kind of fall. Uh, but it's interesting to be because the only other racers with the race experience, uh, like we said, Seabass, uh, Ryan Hunter, Ray, Tony Kanaan, Scott Dixon. Scott Dixon can't make a title shot anymore. But the nope. other three of those um, – they aren't, I don't want to say they're not relevant, but they aren't relevant in this title shot. And Scott Dixon is only barely not relevant. The three guys we're paying attention to, Simon Pagano, Alexander Rossi, and Joseph Newgarden, it's all a big question mark for them with the grand exception of my boy, Alexander Rossi. He's he's had a little bit of experience here, and we have the, we uh, had a phone call with him earlier, along with several other press members. So it was not me breaching broaching this question, but uh, here is uh, what Alexander Rossi had to say with about his history with Laguna Seca. My first introduction to motorsports um, when I was three years old, and uh, my my father took me for for seven consecutive years after that. So that was kind of our father son trip. It was only a three and a half hour commute from from where I grew up, and you know, as much as Sonoma has been or was kind of claimed as my home track just because of its proximity to to my hometown, um, Laguna is, is much more a place where I kind of cut my teeth and, and skip barber and, um, you know, had my real first race experience in a race car there and um, have a lot of laps there, albeit in a car that's pretty uh, incomparable to, to what I'll be driving here in uh, two weeks. But nonetheless, um, going to be a huge weekend for me in terms of you know local support and 
family that comes out, and, and that's always really exciting. And you know, I'm fortunate to have two races uh, in the state of California. So that was Alexander Rossi. You know, he, like he said, his dad would take him to the races. That's where he first fell in love with IndyCar was at Laguna Seca, or I think at the time it was it was probably a cart or champ car, depending on the year he first went there. Um, so that might put him into the seasoned veteran uh, for Laguna Seca. Yeah. He knows it a lot. Well, it, and that's an interesting point, too. He says it's completely incomparable to an Indy car where he was going, you know, where he was going around the circuit, what he was going around the circuit in. He says it's incomparable. It was a different kind of car. But... There's only so much that you can do with Sims that, you know, you don't get the feel for the real track, right? So I don't care, you know, if Joseph Newgarden's raced 1,000 laps on Sims in IndyCar at Laguna Seca and Rossi's only raced 200 with, you know, maybe a, a Ford, you know, Mustang or something around Laguna Seca. I think at a certain point, especially at a track like this, there's a lot of things that you can't simulate in terms of how the dust plays, in terms of how the car's going to settle. You how know. the gravity pulls on you and the car. And, right, yeah. the, the speed, how how the corner, the first, or the second corner, excuse me, the first one's right off the start line and it's really not even a corner. How the second corner hairpin narrows on you. There's so many things that you can kind of get the feel for once you start driving there that I think maybe there might be a slight advantage to Rossi in terms of just finishing ahead of Newgarden. Obviously, Newgarden is sitting, you know, in the catbird seat right now, you know, 41 points, I think it is ahead. But I I like the fact you that think, Rossi— you, I think that you think that Rossi can take this. Well, I think—look, here's the key is, do I think Rossi has a shot at, you know, a Road America-like domination and just sweeping the floor or just, you know, a victory at this race? Sure, and I actually like his— chances better to win this race better than Joseph Newgarden's and maybe better than Simon Pagino's because of his previous experience here and the fact it means more to him because he'll have that that family connection he'll have some experience at the track but the key is if he wins you know it even if he wins, Joseph Newgarden still has to choke a little bit, right? right. I think if you flip to the next page we have the uh, the clinching scenarios Rossi and uh Pagino have to, if they win, Newgarden has to finish sixth or worse, or finish fifth if uh, they score two. Or if Rossi scores two bonus points, or Pagano scores three. So a lot has to go right for Rossi, right? But I think and a lot has to go wrong for Newgarden, right? But I think the key is here is that I think Rossi has a shot to take care of his end. The question is, is all Newgarden has to do is take care of his end to mm-hmm. win, right? Yep. It's one of those things where. Um, you know, in baseball, we always say, take care of your own business and don't worry about the business of the other teams in your division, right? You win by take caring, taking care of your own business. That's exactly what it is. I think Rossi has the ability to take care of his own business, but I think Newgarden is sitting a little too pretty it's right too, now. Yeah, it's too comfy. Right. And that might be his undoing. Who knows? But I'm, I know for sure that this is going to be an insanely awesome weekend again for racing. It, it it really will be. Singapore has so many interesting things going into it. And obviously, you know, they're giving out the Aster Cup in IndyCar. And anytime IndyCar has a little season finale, and anytime any uh, racing series has a season finale where it can be decided in the final race like this is big. Uh, 
the bigger part of it, too, is that this track is just such a question mark, right? So let's talk about this track. Uh, you know, there's obviously the corkscrew, but there's a little more at play here. You know, there's a lot of uh, medium speed, uh, right angle-ish bends. Uh, they play around. You have to get the balance really right to get all that. Right. And to still, you know, make it through the corkscrew for sure. Right. There's a, and, and not only the corkscrew, but a lot of people sleep... Coming out of the corkscrew, there's a left-handed downhill turn, um, right, you know, right as you come out of it, and it's not technically part of the corkscrew, but to me, that is always just as entertaining of a part of the track as the corkscrew itself. There's that downhill left-hander where the, the land is just kind of falling out from under you, but it's a high-speed corner, and that's a fun. That's a fun area. There's. So much at play because the first half of the track is relatively flat until you round the corner and start climbing the hill. And then you have a lot of elevation change. It's not like Spa where you know for a fact that there's just elevation change on elevation change, right? You have to balance the car. Do I want the back half or do I want the front half? So there's, you know, there's uncertainty in that, but there's also uncertainty in where the overtaking spots are. There's a history at this track of problem with overtaking it's really hard to pass here i don't know if i qualify it as a problem you know it, it it's only a problem if every other track has the same issue right right you can have tracks where hey it's just hard to overtake here that's fine that's why i don't think you know australia in f1 is quite as big of a problem as others might right yeah it's hard to overtake but that's only a problem because you have a ton of other tracks where it's hard to overtake one or two isn't an issue but the drivers seem to not know how or how or when or where they're going to overtake. So let's uh, hear from uh, Rossi first on the ability to overtake at this track. I have no idea about passing zones because obviously in a test you are really the main goal is to stay as far away from other cars as possible. Um, in terms of the challenging parts of it, I think it's, it's a very low grip surface. So I think, um, you know, it's, it's one of those tracks where you're going to see the car sliding around a lot and, and guys working the wheel and, um, you know, it's, there's dirt runoff, so drop wheels and throw dust on the track and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, from that standpoint, it's it's pretty tricky. Um, the raceability of it, I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, the obvious answer would probably be turn two, the braking zone there. Um, but it's a pretty narrow corner, so I, I don't know, unfortunately. I'll let you know on Saturday. Alexander Rossi says he'll let us know on Saturday where the overtaking zones are. And I think he brought up some some other good points here, which is that I showed you an onboard shot of this uh, right before the race. And I said, hey, you know, this had, this didn't stand out to me when I when I play Sims. But now that it's pointed out to me, that exit to turn two at Laguna Seca is very tight. We saw an onboard of I think it was a Ferrari F1 car going around it. Um, yeah. And the exit to turn to turn two, which, by the way, is a double apex, um, it really sneaks up on you, the outside boundary of that. Yeah. And that— By sneaks up, it's just there. Yeah, yeah. It's quick. It feeds you right into that dirt runoff. And that's the other thing, too. He mentioned dirt runoffs. There's a lot of question marks around— I mean, it's it's California. It is dusty as all get out. It probably hasn't rained there in God knows how long. I actually wanted to add a thing that said, when's the last time it rained in Monterey? But it rained yesterday morning lightly, so I couldn't. So yesterday yeah. was the answer. Yeah, but it, you know, it, it could not rain there until race time. But it's going to be dusty. 
All right. And there's a lot of quarters there that either a or it's advantageous to straighten it out and maybe stick a wheel out of the line and or two, much like uh, turn two, the track just kind of feeds you into, <laughs> into the exit into maybe sticking a wheel out and getting dust all over it. He said it's already a low grip surface. You throw dust in on there. You could be seeing a track that really evolves in such a way that. If you make a mistake, now you have a much bigger problem than, say, if you made a mistake at a mid-Ohio. Right. And even, you know, even the minor mistakes of the stuff that's on track, if you're racing somebody and a wheel or two happen to go off the track, that amount of dirt might make you pay right. a lot. You know, you go from a ton of grip in that second corner that you absolutely need to none um, and, you know, you might see some uh, spinning off at that second point. Yeah, yeah and th- that's the thing here is IndyCar, you know, um, this is not a knock on the drivers, but it's a not, it's not a knock on anything. It's just the nature of, of the series. IndyCar sees a lot, of, a lot of minor mistakes being made by the drivers because, I mean, by all means, these cars are very difficult to drive. You know, these are some of the best drivers in the world, and, you know, they're, they fight these cars. If you... The nature of IndyCar is that there's small mistakes, and those mistakes could be amplified this weekend because of the nature of this track. It's low grip. It has dust on it, and there's a little more pressure for everyone going in here because it's a double points race, and you could really, even if you're not Rossi Pagano or Newgarden, you could make up a couple points. You know, you could make up a couple places. You could leapfrog some people and get a little more money for your team. There is still a lot of money on the line. Right. So there's just... You could be seeing a little bit of chaos sneak its way into the race here, even more so than, say, the chaos that happened at Portland. So back to the uh, overtaking, and here's uh, here's Newgarden. I wanted to play this second because Rossi goes, man, I don't know where the overtakes. I think the obvious answer is turn two, but it's narrow. Newgarden sounds flabbergasted. Here's what he had to say. You know, honestly, I don't even know. I really, really don't. Um, because, you know, tracks that we've said historically you can't pass well on, um, we've kind of changed that notion in IndyCar. You know, there's just a lot of places that historically maybe they weren't good passing places and then they become it. So I, I don't think we have a good idea of how Laguna is going to race yet, you know, what the tire degradation is going to be like, um, you know, is qualifying going to be, you know, the, the name of the game for the, for the weekend or not. It's just it's hard to tell. I, I think um, it's going to be an important part of the weekend, without a doubt. You know, it's, it's always better to start up front uh, to get yourself out of out of harm's way, hopefully, and and you know, not get yourself into trouble at the very beginning. Um, but will it be the the make or break of the weekend? It's I I just don't know. I mean, you know, if we qualify up front, I hope it's that way. If we qualify in the back, I hope it's not that way. And uh, we're all going to get an education for sure next weekend and, and figure out how Laguna races in 2019. All right, well, I said he sounded flabbergasted. Tim, your impressions on, on how he sounds? Uh, he's giving it a solid maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's. It, I agree. He does sound flabbergasted. He doesn't really know what to say until he gets there. And that's, like, you know, that's not a knock on Newgarden or a knock on, you know, his ability to drive this no, course. But, like, it's just, he said it earlier, too. It's such a wild card of a weekend that you're deciding the you're deciding the championship on a race nobody's raced. Uh, then the four guys who have raced it aren't relevant in terms of this championship. Like, that is such a bizarre thing, and the nature of this track is different than the nature of all the other tracks. There's so many different things at play. It's just, it's a fascinating... I love it. Oh, my <laughs> God. It's it's a perfect IndyCar thing to me. 
mm-hmm. is that all year long you don't know who's going to come out on top. You know, it could be Takuma Sato, it could be uh, you know Simon Pagano, it could be Joseph Newgarden, it could be Rossi. It, you just don't know. And I think that putting in the wild card to end on when odds are everybody's going to be scrapping all year is absolute fan service. Mm-hmm. I really I feel strongly that this is going to be a fun weekend and a really great way to wrap up 2019 for IndyCar. I'm thrilled. So for those of you listening for the first time here, I'm talking to you, John. We probably have a John listening for the first time. Statistics, right? Anyway, for those of you listening for the first time, so so certain. I'm like, wait, are are we? Did we tell a guy named John to (laughs) listen to the show? Who's this? No, nobody I tell to listen to the show ever listens to the show, except for you, Derek. How you doing? That is actually one of our listeners, good friend Derek. Anyway, but uh, we talk about how the nature of F1 racing is to an extent order, and that's why the chaotic races are so uh, few and far between, right? That's why Germany was so special. IndyCar, the nature of the races, and I've tweeted about this, I've said it, the nature of the races is chaos. Even when you have a a track like Indianapolis, who everybody has driven on countless times, you have them. Years and years and years. Even the newbies have an entire month worth of laps, you know, that they log in to go into. It produces chaos, you know? And that's the beauty of of this race, too, is that IndyCar is chaos. And this is an even more cha- this has a possibility to be a more chaotic race than usual. And certainly going in, it looks like it could be more chaotic than usual because of the nature of the track, because so many drivers don't know anything. Even if the race itself isn't chaos, what's going to be chaos is them practicing and f- qualifying, figuring out how this track is going to function. And I cannot wait. Absolutely. Oh, it's so it's so good. It's so it's so entertaining. My only worry is that we could see a race based on qualifying, but you know that it's going to be a wild qualifying. Uh, Rossi had a couple things to say uh, about qualifying at Laguna Seca. We'll play that right here. I've been saying for a while, you know, this championship very well could be decided in qualifying at Laguna. Um, you know, it's, it's no secret that we're expecting it to be a challenging race to pass um, just because of its history. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's 100% going to be a, a critical qualifying session that you're going to have to be inch perfect and nail it um, through all three rounds and the guy that's on pole, um, you know, if he's one of the the, the guys that are in the championship fight, um, it's going to make their job to, to win the thing a whole lot easier. So the back end of that what was what I would consider a little standard fare. You know, oh, it's going to make their job easier. What I think is interesting that he's said was all season we I've been saying, you know, it could come down to the qualifying at Laguna. It could be the qualifying that decides this, and you're going to have to be inch perfect. Now, if you're, in, you know, making – Knowing that it's that important and needing to be that inch perfect because the championship is on the line, you factor that into maybe a trickier course with low grip. You could right. be seeing some disastrous qualifying results. You could because everybody's trying to get it inch perfect, and they're going to be testing the outer limits of that track. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's going to be it's going to be exciting. It might it might come down to the qualifying. If so, hey Joseph, you may want to do better than fifth. Yeah, well, and that's the other thing, too, is even if it comes down to qualifying, I think if you're a racing fan, you understand that there are several races that are decided by qualifying, and qualifying many times is as entertaining, sometimes more, especially if you're in the F1 circle. Um, qualifying can be more entertaining than the actual race a lot of times, you know? Um this is just as important as the race, so I don't think it's a bad thing for qualifying to have this increased importance going into this race. But I just it, 
it doesn't ring true to me the sense of how this season and how modern IndyCar goes. I just I don't get that sense that it's all going to be worked out by qualifying. I think it'll be important, but I don't think it's going to tell the whole story. What's the uh, it's the it's the line? Um, I think it was a, uh, I think it was a uh, Demarco Farr on here uh, on one hundred and one ESPN. He said stats are like bikinis; they show stuff, but they don't show all the stuff. And I think that's the way qualifying is going to be. It shows stuff. It's not going to show all the stuff. Right. And if you looked at just the box do- box score of Game 6 of the 2011 World Series, mm, you would see, you know, oh, they, they won by a single run. Good for them. You would not see that David Freeze, the hometown kid, hit the home run to send us into the next night. Right. There's, so, there's things you're going to have to read in between the lines on. And I think the race is really going to be that underscore, you know, the meat of the story might be um, the meat of, of the movie, the plot of the movie might be qualifying, but all the special effects and all the undertones and all the um, little subliminal messages might be the race. And really that's what separates a race weekend from good to great it is the ability to have those extra small storylines that you're like, oh, that was interesting. That was intriguing. So it'll be really, really interesting. We'll leave you with one final uh, Joseph Newgarden cut. Uh, it's up to Joseph not to crack under pressure. And he knows that, but he thinks he feels pretty comfortable. Uh, the positive thing is I, I do feel like we control our own destiny, and, and that, that for sure is the case, um, which is you know, why it's the, the favorable position. You know, if, you're gonna, if you'd ask me if I'd rather be 41 points up or 41 points down, you know, you're always going to choose being 41 points up. Um, it's just a much better place to be. Um, but you know, having said that, uh, it's, it's still with a double-point situation has to go extremely well. Um, because of the way it changes the nature of the finishing positions and, and the points payouts. Um, so we'll just have to see, you know, how we get on next week. Um, I, f- I have a lot of confidence in, in Team Penske, as always. You know, you always feel prepared when you come to uh, a new track or, or a venue you've never been at before. And, and certainly I think with Team Chevy, they've given us all the confidence in the world. Every every race this year we, we go to, we feel like we're we're getting what we need from them, and the communication has been, been excellent. So I feel like we have the right people in our corner, and um, we just need to make sure that we we try and go and execute now that was joseph newgarden and uh, that sounds like a man to me who's trying to be humble but he thinks he's got it in the bag you we were talking during during this clip obviously our mics were off uh he said you know you feel com- i feel confident dean penske you want to tell me what you told me <laughs> no kidding <laughs> no joke you're confident team penske it's like you show up to a gunfight with a nuke and yeah. everybody else shows up with a knife. It's just like, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Team Penske is insane at what they do. Mm-hmm. They, you know, the the nicest mechanics, I think, uh, you know, out there. That yeah. It's just the, you know, just a really great team. We, Holy cow. We had a good conversation with a few of them at, we uh, did. at they Gateway. They were all very open and, you know. Mm-hmm took any question we threw at him. Yeah. When uh, when Newgarden was replacing his engine, I pulled aside a Penske mechanic and flagged him down. And I just asked him, I said, is this going to be a grid? Uh, or is this going to be a grid penalty? And he explained the rule to me. He said, I don't, he said it, it won't be. And uh, we're doing this because, you know, obviously we need points coming to the... He explained the whole thing to me. So Penske, yeah. good, good people, and uh, they, are, they are very well trained. It's like Lewis Hamilton going... Well, you know, I I have a little bit of confidence in my team. No kidding, you have confidence in Mercedes, right? Like, <laughs> if you don't have confidence in the team, you have something's trust, horribly wrong. You have trust issues. We is may what need to go have. see a therapist and talk about the the time you were betrayed.
Yeah, like if you don't have confidence in Team Penske, like who hurt you? <laughs> <laughs> right. No, that's. I mean, just hearing that was just was a <laughs> duh. Yeah. You know, but, moment. But uh, I and I thought that was funny. But in all seriousness, Team Penske, you know that that's a good, pretty good horse to bet on right there. Right. If there, if you know, if there's, if there's, if I'm a gambling man and I'm using my brain to put my money on something, it's got to be Joseph Newgarden wraps it up. All he has to do is finish, you know, fifth or better. Right. Mm-hmm. But you can't deny the fact that Rossi had, if this were any other weekend, right. Rossi has an advantage to finish ahead of Newgarden. I think that's just a fact in yeah. terms of, what the race means to him. It's his local race. He cut his teeth at this track. He grew up at this track. It just kind of means more to him. The problem is, is that just finishing ahead of somebody doesn't win in this circumstance. So a um, lot of things have to happen. Right. Um, If this were replaced with Detroit, where it's just another race on the calendar, or it's replaced with mid Ohio, where it's just another race on the calendar. This is your money has to go on Rossi, but for new garden to this week, He's my pick of the week. That's a new segment we're doing, apparently. Joseph Newgard, my lock of the week. I can't argue with my brain's ability to say, hey, this guy's got it on lockdown. And, you know, we're going to the fantasy football season. Neither you nor I pay, play uh, fantasy football. So I, we actually, may- I actually do. Stop it. You got into it? Oh, oh no, right. not Whatever. only not Traitor. only have I got into it. Uh I I'm in a dynasty league. Oh for God's sake. I like I like literally, literally my last month has been talking with people about trading draft picks for future draft picks. So <laughs> I don't play fantasy football because I am boycotting the sport of the NFL the football and the NFL specifically. You have to understand all of our listeners were from St. Louis. That's all you should need to know. So carry on. Google it. Um, so uh, I'm going to uh, go ahead and say, yeah, you can put in lock your pick and uh, see what happens this weekend with it. That might be fun. You know, have a have a running tally, you and me, see whose uh, pick does better. Right, write that down, Luke. We had a segment called Write That Down, Dan, uh, next door on air where, you know, you'd make a bold prediction, have Dan, write, have Dan Betlock write it down. W- write that down, Luke. All right? Write that down, here's, Luke. Here's a question for you. Fire if, away. If somebody usurps... Joseph Newgarden's title shot here, right? Yep. Is it Rossi or is it Pagano? Rossi. Rossi. Not Just, even. Not yeah. even. Not even. Close. Well, I mean, Pagano, I think, will uh, play the team game, mm-hmm. and he. The thing about Simon is that he's he is a company man. He knows that Penske's got his back, and he doesn't want to risk anything for the team, so he won't be pushing for it. Especially he's got that brand new Penske contract that he signed right after Indianapolis. Correct. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll be Rossi with Andretti going for it, and uh, Rossi comes in with more experience, with um, he's got some fire, I think, coming mm-hmm. out of the last few weekends, and you know, at Worldwide he didn't seem super pumped no. about how, the, how things went, so I have a feeling it's going to be, it's he's going to make it an interesting fight, Does and it, so that would be if I had to put my money on somebody to mix things up, it'll be Rossi for sure. That's a good point. You know, he wasn't he he didn't exactly he wasn't thrilled with the outcome at Worldwide. He wasn't thrilled with the outcome at Pocono, and uh, I think as I sneeze and I'm cutting you know the the podcast now. Anyway, I think. Uh, when you look at Rossi, he's almost uh, due. I don't think third place, I think it was at Portland, is good enough for him. He had two bad weeks, and I think you know he's got a fire lit under him. So either way, it's going to be 
just an absolute thrill ride to watch Can't this wait. this coming. Oh my god! Seeing oh, seeing modern indie cars fly through the corkscrew. <laughs> oh, Tim's a happy boy. <laughs> Tim, you really love the corkscrew, don't I you? I do. I think it's awesome. Well, because I I we just saw at with IMSA insane duels between the GT and the Corvette through the corkscrew. Like it uh, it, it doesn't get much better. Yep. Like that's just an insane race. They were. Oh, so good. So I can't wait to see stronger cars going through there. Uh, it's going to be exciting. We can't wait. And additionally, next week, Singapore and F1. We'll talk about all of your F1 news coming up right here on The Formation Lap. The Formation Lap with Luke and Tim. Welcome back to The Formation Pack. You know, I can't even say the name. I'm not even redoing that. I'm just going to stick here. Leave it in. <laughs> Leave it in. I am... Too too tired to uh, say the name of the Formation Lap podcast name correctly. That's because it's been a busy week in the F1 news world. Not so much a busy week in uh, the F1 actual you know racing world. There's not much concrete things to talk about, but... There is enough. There is enough. And and we have a new segment that we're going to tease right now. It's called Luke's Old Man Rant that's coming up. We, If you listened to we last week's have, episode... And we have two of them, too. We, we have, have two new segments. Two new segments. Did, yep. you, did you find something for your new segment as well? Uh, not not with that one, no. I'm going to debut that at a later date. Oh, but, it's a special uh, mouse tool to help us later, huh? Mouse <laughs> Jesus. Um... <laughs> No, not quite, but I will introduce it here shortly. All right. Well, let's uh, start off with the news. It's time for the news, everybody. Uh, first off, Williams have extended their deal with Mercedes to provide power units for the team through 2025. Cool. Um, How they did that, not sure. Mer- uh, Claire Williams, we've enjoyed a wonderful partnership with Mercedes-Benz over the past six years uh, of what was originally a seven-year agreement. And so we're delighted, yada, 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 further five years from 2021. So it's a five-year deal, but it starts in 2021. And this is notable to me because it's the first deal I can think of that has been struck with the implicit knowledge that in 2021 we're going to have this entirely new rule set. And they knew that, and this is all about that new rule set. And I can't help but think for a team that can't afford to make many more mistakes than they already have. We've talked about their financial woes previously. This is maybe a little more risky than it would put on hiring on Mercedes. Hear me out. Mercedes, we've seen this season, maybe Red Bull Honda are stepping up. They're coming for him. Ferrari's faster in a straight line, right? So that tells me that, you know, maybe we're only a couple years away from a Ferrari or a Honda engine coming up and maybe you know nipping at the heels or maybe even just being straight out better than a Mercedes engine, right? Mercedes uh, Arrow, that's a whole other issue. But so to say, all right, here's a team that could be on the downswing engine-wise, and we don't even know what the new rule set regulations are going to be for 2021 yet, and we're going to already sign on with this. There's There's two big question marks. What are the 2021 engine regulations? And two, are Mercedes going to adapt to him because we've already said we're good, and that's two years out. Yeah, um, I don't know. The more I'm sitting here thinking about it, the more, and we didn't put this on the rundown, but the more I'm sitting here wondering if this is a move less for the competitive uh, edge of the team or better for a potential investor to come and buy it. That's a good point. I, one of the questions I put on here is: Will Williams even be a team as we know it in twenty twenty five? They've lost money. They lost a ton of money last year. 
They're losing money this year, according to reports. Um, they're a private team. You, private teams can't afford to lose money like a, like a manufacturer team can. Correct. Um, so it, it's it's a good point there is that this provides long-term stability for, an, for a, an investor to come in and say, I can uproot what I need, but I don't have this pressing pressing issue right now. And I have the currently uh, the current championship winning engine in my car, right? So, and that's locked in for the foreseeable future. So, I can build out around this. Right. That's uh, what I think will happen. But I I think that is a long term setting up for sale thing. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because you know who's rumored to be coming in to. Uh, uh, Williams is Nicholas Latifi, whose father is a Lawrence Stroll type guy. Yeah, Lawrence Stroll type guy. He, he actually owns McLaren. He actually owns McLaren for Racing Point. Yes, apparently he was one of the bidders. Yeah. So, hmm. Nicholas Latifi, who, uh, by the way, actually, I, I think if you look at his racing record, does deserve a shot at Formula One. He's, there's not a question about that to me. Um, does he deserve a shot more than you know maybe one or two other guys? Yeah, but he does deserve a shot at the very least. It's the guy who's in the minor leagues. You, you know, is batting two eighty. You know, yeah, that's not bad. September call up, right? Exactly. Uh, but he comes in with a rich daddy who uh, will certainly is certainly willing to bankroll the team. Williams goes, hey, you know, uh, you've your your guy is supposed to be coming to my team, and you have money, and you know what we need is a lot of money. I think you could see. Uh, Williams become a Williams Latifi racing type team, you know. Yeah. Uh, he he is a lot more than just bankrolling it. He's a he's a owner of the team type deal. Yeah, and I think you know it's time for leadership to change at Williams mm-hmm. if the team is to survive at all. Right. So, you know, I, if it's Claire stepping down or if it's you know, uh, her brother stepping in or, you know, the Williams family stepping aside altogether. Mm-hmm. Who knows? This may be the end of the line. I, I, I know for a fact that uh, I don't know for a fact um, how involved Nicholas Latifi's father is, but his father is a, a, a majority holder, I think, in McLaren. McLaren has uh, shown recently that, hey, they've uh, they've had some good success in Formula One. I don't I don't know how involved he is in that, but as a company... But he could probably take a look and see what's going on. Right, You know, and yeah. say, oh, okay, also, this is what works, this is what doesn't. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing the inner workings. I'm intimately involved because I am bankrolling these guys, uh-huh. so maybe. Well, and not only that, but, you know, you don't succeed in Formula One if you're a McLaren without the backing of McLaren Corporate, without the black backing of the road car side of McLaren, right? So, like, And the road car was born of the F1 team, so, mm-hmm. you know, all things McLaren have to pump into the F1 team. Right, so this guy could bring some bit of knowledge to Williams F1, and like you said, it, it needs to be a change. It's not a for sure thing that he... I'm not saying he knows how to fix the team like he fixed McLaren. No, no, no. He We don't even know if he's... You know, how directly involved he was in the McLaren team, but... Without sounding too rude to Claire, it can't be much worse, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they're on the wall of shame. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. Rest in peace, Williams. You're on the wall of shame. <laughs> for, for what might be forever. Oh, um, man. I, I cannot wait for the day that we take Williams off the wall of shame. I want to take Pierre. I have a feeling. I want to take Haas off the wall before I take either of those two. That's true. That's true. Haas could be current, off the wall. Current occupants of the wall of shame I have are a the feel- Williams team, the Haas team, and Pierre Gasly. I have a feeling that before uh, that they by 
maybe by next year, Pierre Gasly could be off the board. I think he's closer to being off the board than any of them. If he's on the grid. That's true. That's true. I think, but, you know, he hasn't looked too terrible in Toro Rosso. It's been one or two races. I know, I know, but he's looked terrible the entire time in Red Bull. So there's, I have a feeling, though, that that's more where he should naturally shuffle in as a team of that caliber. And if he if he's doing his job, he can't be on the wall of shame, right? Like, if he's just doing yeah. his job adequately. But for now, he stays. Right. For now, he stays, but it'll be interesting to see how the wall of shame shapes yeah. up. Williams, Haas, and uh, Pierre Gasly. Don't forget the uh, ri- the uh, Richard Story corner. The oh, rich en- it's just so the, weird. The rich energy corner. He's staring in my soul. Oh, man. Uh, so, uh, in other F1 news, Cyril Epitabul says it's completely possible to catch McLaren. Renault <laughs> sit only 18 <laughs> points behind McLaren. <laughs> I can't get through this without laughing. Um... <laughs> Quote, firstly, you don't renegotiate the targets simply because they are looking harder. So Saturday in Monza, the target was P4, and today the target remains P4. I think that we are 18 points away from McLaren with seven races to go. That's three points average more than them. It's completely doable. I think there will be a number of tracks where they will be quicker than us. That's a fact, but I think there will be uh, – that's a fact, and there will be a number of tracks where we will be quicker than them. So we just need to be capable of doing what we have not done so far, and when we are quicker, scoring more points. Except for in Italy, where we've done it, and that's good. I, I, yeah. Um, here's the key to me: is we need to be capable of doing what we have not done so far. Yeah, the track record's not good, Cyril. Let's yeah. be honest. You're you're um, in this point because McLaren has fumbled the last two races. Yeah, and it, uh, no, Cyril, you're not going to get there. I'm sorry. You know, it's funny for the, all— and, and the reason that they had that was because of, you know, McLaren's miserable weekend. Yeah, they, they had a terrible weekend in Spa. Yeah. Terrible weekend in Spa. They didn't and have not much— not a great one in, in Monza. In Monza, yeah. No, so I think uh, it, it, the gap in points is closer than the gap in uh, actual team ability, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I just I don't see it happening, but I wouldn't hate for a last race to be a fight up front just for who wins the race and maybe a fight for McLaren versus Renault to see who wins the midfield and maybe, you know, a, a couple teams fighting near the back. I think I think that's a possibility, but I just going into next year and looking towards the foreseeable future, McLaren's just the better team. Yeah, they are. And they are on the upward trajectory. They've got two drivers that they have total faith and confidence in. Uh, Renault, you've got you know one driver that's on the way out, so don't expect a whole huge lot from him. Um, I don't know. I guess we're going to find out. But I don't think that they're going to be able to catch McLaren. Uh, what, what do you think, if you had to take a stab at the points gap after the final race of the season in Abu Dhabi, uh, what do you think the points gap between McLaren and Renault would be? I think it'll be the same. It'll be pretty close, but you know, it won't be. It won't. It'll be substantial, uh-huh. but it won't be. And apparently, my voice decided to get really excited about that. Uh-huh. Um, but it won't be. You know, too far gone. It'll be Renault. For some reason, I don't know what has happened this year where they've, you know, gone arguably backward. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know that hopefully next year they start to use that new. Uh, 4,000 square meter new uh, warehouse uh, manufacturing facility. Mm-hmm. They start 
ramping things up and doing well Do you think, and showing the might of a manufacturer. Which they haven't done so far, and that's the key to me, is two races does not mean you have that you know, swinging ability that the manufacturer's teams can have. And I, I think it's ballsy of Cyril to say this because we and multiple other pundits uh, who know far more than we do have said in the past, you know, over the course of this season that maybe Cyril Bittables, you know, is not the solution for Renault. He might be the issue. Right. Yeah. So who knows? It might be, yeah, it might be some posturing. But no, Cyril. Sorry. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think that's going to happen unless nah, it's going to take McLaren fumbling at least two more consecutive weekends for that to even enter the realm of have possibility. To DNF the next few, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, Daniel Ricardo, he's still being sued by his former manager. That's a couple months old news, but the new news, new news, uh, is that. Uh, that means that his finances are public records. So uh, we did a little bit of scouring, and um, da, 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 included from Renault is a flat sum of $55 million to, <laughs> to, to Daniel Ricardo. That's, that's, that's some good money, folks. Yeah. Um, you know, because you think about it, the, the top end, your Vettels, your Hamiltons, the multiple world champions, they earn about 40 a year. That's mm-hmm. a good amount of money. The mid-tier guys, they don't earn that much. Um, you know, you see a couple million here and there. So to, you know, break it down for you, it's 18 and a third million dollars a year. So not bad. No. Really not bad. And this is where that Renault uh, manufacturers might shows because there's not a lot of teams that are running around the area that Renault are that can pay $55 million. That was the might of the manufacturer. Right there. They paid hey, him. Speaking of which, if that's an above market value contract, which it very well could be, we don't, obviously, not everything is, is public knowledge, but I would wager that that's way near the top end, right? Um, is that why they're so eager to move on to move on from Nico Hulkenberg and go to Ocon because they need to save a little money on that second driver because you've sunk in a lot of cost into Daniel Ricciardo? Yeah, I think it is. I think um, obviously I actually there think are it's more reasons. of a yeah. I think it's actually more of a um, stick for Daniel, mm-hmm. um, whereas Hulkenberg is probably not demanding that top of the midfield pay range because of his hideous luck. He cur- he is the current record holder <clears throat> for most numbers of Grand Prix starts without a podium finish. Mm-hmm. He's never had one. Yeah. Period. So that's a brutal and and run. that and that's not a record and that's not a record by the way that is held um uh, by a bad driver right it's it's like no. it's it's like being the all time losingest coach in in a sport that means that you have to have enough success to be a coach for ten twenty years in order to set the record for losing right same thing with with Nico Hulkenberg that means that he's a decent driver because he's had two hundred and how many ever Grand Prix starts he has to be good to get that many starts he definitely does but he's not commanding that price so i don't know if it's as much price Mm -hmm. and trying to you know save a little bit as much as it is they want Ocon, someone who has driven the mercedes someone who has driven at the sharp end with that force india Mm -hmm. last year who is hungry who is ferocious tenacious and can keep daniel honest and not have daniel do oh i don't know snapping the the wing off the car before turn one of the season you know <laughs> yeah, that seems like an eon ago doesn't it <laughs> uh, so long but what my i think you know they they needed to move on they needed to have someone fresh in the car 
along with Daniel, who's been in a privileged car. Um, you know, because uh, Hulkenberg earlier in the season did have that comment where he said that um, Daniel's feedback uh, in the post-race, uh, you know, post-mortem breakdowns yeah. were were very uh, spoiled feedback. He was coming from a spoiled point of view with the Red Bull, and it's like, okay, so what? Like, what does that mean? You know, oh, I don't want. It's good feedback. It's He's not- showing you how Adrian Newey has designed a car that you haven't driven. So he's tra- helping the team to get better. So yeah, here's how to make this car more like Adrian Newey's is a solid way to get closer to the podium. And then you have Ocon, who is the test driver and the Sims driver for Mercedes. Ooh, I didn't think about that. You have you have a guy going, here's how your car can be more like Adrian Newey's, and then you have a second guy going, here's how your car can be more like Total Wolf's. Yep. Yeah. So there you go. There you go. That's my that would be my take. But that's, that's your hot still take. that's a hilarious amount of money to give Daniel Ricardo. It is a ton. Uh, there are some other stipulations on this contract. Uh they're obviously they're paying for the cost of Ricardo's FIA license and documentation, which is estimated at five hundred grand. Which, it's pricey. How much how much do you, are you paying your little, you know, accountants and, and clerks and secretaries to file away these document documents? I don't know. Not enough. How can I get that gig, man? I, I would quit this for five hundred grand to go, you know, put a a paper into a Hubbard file. Or- one hundred and one ESPN. If you're listening, we really love it here. Luke loves his job. Yeah, yeah. We're I not do. going anywhere. I do, but I mean, can you blame me? <laughs> Scan these sheets that you filled out onto a Word document for a hundred grand. I'll take that. Yep. Uh, here's a, here's one that I found interesting: a Renault car with all maintenance fees and et cetera covered, and the estimation on this is. Thirty grand. Somehow, I have a feeling that that might be that well, might be where look, they cheaped out. That it for sure, it's where <laughs> they cheaped out. But Renault is a partly publicly owned company. That's it true. Is a, you know, it is a the government is involved, um, and you get a more modest car than say if you were driving for I don't know Ferrari <laughs> or Mercedes or Mercedes. Good news, Daniel can go out and buy a Ferrari yeah. with the money he's being paid. <laughs> yeah, bad no- news. They're not going to cover all his stuff, but he can ride around in a Renault Clio. <laughs> or an Infinity, to which he could probably also drive, because Infinity is also part of go. the Renault family. Um, I like I like the idea of of Daniel Ricardo, F one driver, showing up to a race in a Clio, <laughs> or or a Nissan Altima. Yeah, just like, hey guys, I'm, you- I'm driving the same car you are. Yeah, <laughs> like. like yeah, like it showing up in my Toyota Corolla, which is just like so under like. The it, image of that. It's not the prestige. <laughs> no. And neither is my Subaru, but <laughs> no. I love that thing. Uh, so. And then uh, his end-of-the-season bonus, you, you talked stupid money already, his end-of-the-season bonus can be up to $10 million based on Danny's performance. Obviously, when they say up to $10 million, he's not winning the WDC, so he's not going to get $10 million. But that's still no joke. You could almost increase your pay 30%. <laughs> that's a pretty good incentive for anybody. Yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> Like I said, there's Renault's might of the manufacturer coming yeah, through that, right there. That's exactly <laughs> it, right there. Well, and and not only just any manufacturer. I mean, Ferrari's a manufacturer, but Ferrari uh, is not as is not can't afford to be swinging out money quite as much as Renault. The the Renault is the mightiest of the manufacturers. Globally. They are the biggest, right? Yep. Um. So to me, I'm like. I don't know if uh, if many other manufacturers wouldn't do a double take on that deal just because of their size, you know. Maybe and like a McLaren wouldn't sign that deal. Hopefully, uh, yeah. Hopefully, Vettel isn't looking at it and saying, "Hey, Ferrari, 
I'm not being paid proportionately to Daniel Ricardo. And they're like, oh, come on. We, in s- Italian. we sell 40 cars a year. Come on. <laughs> this is our entire marketing budget. That's yeah. we all we do is race. <laughs> That's and true. we pay you like 40 million a year. Really? Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, um, not to be totally herky jerky with the segways as I'm typically very smooth with them. Um, You're but, about as smooth as the founder of Segway during his last ride. Let's go. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Rest in peace, maybe. Um, but uh, we're going into our new segment. Oh, right now. You're yeah, doing it right we're gonna, now. We're going to Segway. All right. You we're have go- it. Ha- is it my new segment or your new segment? Our new segment. Our new segment. Yeah, it, we, either one of us can do this. This with is an spontaneous. It I is have, spontaneous. I have no idea what this is. Like, I legitimately. Just, I yeah, you do. I pitched it earlier, and you were like, "Oh, huh." Yeah. Um, this oh. we're going into. We, you know, with the track, we have been. You know, we started our formation lap. Mm-hmm. We are going through the race. We are now going into the scuttlebutt sector. Oh, the scuttlebutt sector, where hmm. it's rumors, it's unverified, it's a little tricky, and we got to keep the line right through it. As you know, can keep some journalistic integrity as we can, but it is interesting, and we might want to talk about it. Right. I have put this on the outline. This is. Possibly scuttlebutt, possibly poppycock. Who knows what it is? Or it could be true. Who it knows? It could be true. Um, there have been quotes by Mattia Bonato from uh, questionable sources. If you're, Ameri- if you're an American, this is our clickbait corner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is the clickbait corner. Hit the apex just right. Don't <laughs> miss the apex. <laughs> anyway, um, the rumor is is that there have been a secret vote about qualifying moving into next year and that at certain tracks they might scrap qualifying in favor of a short sprint race. And the rumor specifies that that's a unanimous decision and the rumor also includes quotes by Mattia Bonato. This in is this Italian is a rumor. Total rumor. This has been attributed somewhat to La Gazzetta, which is a, an Italian paper. Um, uh, but seen... that's not been verified by La Gazzetta. Yeah. So this might be some impressive tomfoolery. Here's the thing is we've seen, uh, I think, The Sun picked it up in, in Britain. And I know all of our English listeners are saying, blah, blah, you know, The Sun is clickbait tabloids like The New York Post is. And I understand that. But at a certain... Every now and again, every the Post now- and the Sun get it right. Well, and you... They, I, a broken clock is right, right twice a day. And there's and there's a difference between making up a story out of nothing and, oh, there's a little nugget. We're going to write a story that extrapolates all of this information, which is not true, around a possible nugget of truth on the inside of it. So the idea is that uh, a 100-kilometer distance race opens up the... Uh, it's in place of qualifying on that Saturday. Uh, the normal race distance for F1 for our IndyCar listeners is 300 kilometers. Um, and uh, so it'll be about a third of the a distance race. It'll be a sprint race, and that will determine the starting sector. This is where it gets interesting, too, because F2 already runs a sprint race. Yeah. Although, and that is actually where Antoine Hubert died. Right. Uh, the other interesting thing is, uh, if I remember correctly, I think the sprint race is the second race of the weekend. Yes. Um, which, again, it shows that the FIA is possibly willing to do this. The The actual feature race is the first race. They take the top eight finishers, which are where all the points are, um, only the top eight get points. They invert the top eight, and then they run a sprint race with that. That, to me, wouldn't be a bad idea. I don't think so either. Here's the thing, though. 
is that as we saw in Monza, teams are more than willing to play shenanigans mm-hmm. with the qualifying format, no matter oh, what yes. you do. So if you have a sprint race that has an inverted grid, you best be guaranteed that there are going to be some shenanigans going on. A fight for eighth place, possibly? Yeah, all of a sudden there's place. a fight for eighth place. How did this happen? Oh, That's shoot. so strange. We thought we were quicker than that. A Toro Russo's in front? Get out of here. Which is, Williams is leading? Cubits is in the front. Holy which, cow. Which is why I don't think you can you can do that one of two ways. The way you de-incentivize that is you add points to the sprint race, and therefore it's incentivized that you actually do need to finish first in this race. Mm-hmm. The other way you could de-incentivize shenanigans is that the only time you invert the grid is going into the sprint race. You take inverted top 10 in manufacturer standings, top 10 in driver standings, however you do it. That way the sprint race, uh, the sprint race, you know, Mercedes, equal opportunity. Right, the Mercedes start in 10th, but they're incentivized to go to first because there's no inversion between the sprint race and the feature race, right? So you if could. you finish finish first in the sprint race, you you start first in the feature race. That's where you invert the greatest pre-sprint race. I have to go to a yoga class now because I have to work on my flexibility with how weird that is. Yeah. That is, you have to have some mental, you know, gymnastics to get that done. Yeah. It's... Yeah, and you're completely right. I completely understand, but it's like, this is what we're doing? I can hear the rant from Todd's corner of the world going on right now mm-hmm. without, you know, it's an artificial thing. You know, it, but in a is, way, it, is this any better than DRS or saying, HD tires? In a way, isn't the, which I think that the current uh, qualification is excellent television, the current qualification format. And you and I agree completely. Uh, I would say it's arguably better television than the actual race itself because the build-up-payoff build payoff system is just brilliant. Yeah. But isn't the idea of knockout qualifying already a gimmick? Should, if it was just actual qualifying, you get one lap, you're done, or here's 30 minutes, log in your best lap, be done. Yeah, but then you wouldn't have, like, the uh, Gilles Villeneuve, you know, getting pipped and then getting angry, getting back in the car without his seatbelt on to go bang in another time. So it's like, you know, so there have to be some gimmicks with exactly. qualifying. So if you're already opening the doors to gimmick, I think this might be a pretty balanced gimmick, right? It's like It's it. simple. When the sprint right. ra- wherever you finish in the sprint race is where you start. The, uh, that leads to the question of where is – how do you determine the grid for the sprint race? It's simple. You just invert the top 10 or invert the entire field. However you do it, it just incentivizes the teams that are flip fast. The, flip the driver championship. Right. It, yeah. it encourages the teams that are fast to go fast and put on a show that Saturday, which dare I say, that sprint race with an inverted start – that's only a hundred that kilometers. Be pretty dope. Might be more entertaining than the actual Grand Prix because teams <laughs> got to fight immediately. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, uh, Ross Braun's like, "Oh God, what have you done? <laughs> oh no, oh bother!" But like we said, this is all rumor. It is is that complete scuttlebutt? And like I said, the, well, and the other thing is is that that thought that I just had is not part of this rumor. The rumor is simply but I do they've hope agreed the FI- to a sprint race. Right. I do hope that the FIA organizers listen to that because I think that's the best argument for it. Yeah. And that's the best way to do it. That would be awesome. Yeah. But, well, the other thing, too, is if you want to talk money, man, if you're paying to go, if you're in Europe and you can go to see you know, a couple F1 races a year, how much 
more incentivized are you to be there all day Saturday if there's that sprint race going on? Yeah. Because you, you're you not going to— The grandstands will be filled. The you're not going to miss that. race organizers are going to be pumped because they're selling hot yeah. dogs, they're selling beer, they're selling merch. I don't know if they're selling hot dogs in Europe, but yeah, I get your point. Come to America, you'll sell a lot of hot dogs. Actually, I take that back. I went to Iceland. Best hot dogs I've ever had in my life. <laughs> in the streets of Reykjavik. Gorgeous country, too. Oh, absolutely. So that was that's our that's our scuttlebutt uh, that's sector. That's a scuttlebutt sector where you made it through nice and clean. And now we come into uh, an interesting story, I think, that you found for this week. Yeah. Uh, Singapore is reportedly experiencing a haze due to forest burning in Indonesia. Apparently, Indonesia is burning forests to make way for plantations, we're not going to get into the, the, sti- politics the sticky it. politics of that. You can think what you want about it. We'll think what we want. We probably agree. But that being said, <clears throat> that's here's how that affects the Formula One race, which is what our, our thing is about. Um, Pit Pass F1 is, is a website I looked at. They were the ones who kind of reported uh, about that uh, quote by Mattia Bonotto. Yeah. But uh, they had a couple interesting quotes from the National Environmental Agency about um, – uh, about this haze. So, uh, quote, the health impact, this is from the National Environmental Agency, the health impact of haze is dependent on one's health status, the PSI level, and the length and intensity of outdoor activity. Reducing outdoor activities and physical exertion can help limit the ill effects from haze exposure. And if you've seen recent pictures of Singapore... Doesn't look awesome. It's not great, no. Here's the other question, though, is not only for the, obviously for the drivers, mm. for, you know, if you're going to have, you know, maybe an oxygen apparatus in the helmet mm-hmm. um, to maybe not make them, you know, choke to death. Uh-huh. Um, but also the engines. The engines are are, are a question mark. Yeah. I worry about the pit crew. Uh, the pit, pit crew as well, yeah. Because the, the drivers, you know, have these campers, you know, I, make no mistake, F1 drivers are, are treated in the lap of luxury when they are not inside the cars, right? Like, yeah. Like, like, oh, yeah. Like, don't kid yourself. But these pit crew guys, they have long days. I mean, they're out there 12, 13, 14, 15, who, got, who knows how many hours a day in this. And for the pit crews, there's not really a real indoors. You can be in the garage, but it's a garage. It's not really inside, is it? Yeah. Uh, the pit crews are the guys who uh, suffered a lot in Malaysia, where yeah. when it was really hot, the drivers had to deal with it, sure, but they had to deal with it in two-hour bursts. These guys had to go out for days the on end. The whole time, and I hope that they have like ox- oxygen tanks mm-hmm. out there, blowers, right. a lot of stuff to help these guys. Reportedly, there's a contingency plan uh, in place for the race, which the FIA and organizers uh, have agreed upon, and they're keeping an eye on the race. Uh Unverified. I wonder what the contingency plan is. Yeah, that's a good question, too. And I have a point about that. But first, I want to say uh, one F1 source to this website. Again, not sure who this is. They didn't name it. But the quote is that visibility is an issue already and there's uh, no rain. The haze is persistent. And I, for one, have developed a a cough. And I hear more people in the crowds having coughs. Uh, The mouth masks were sold out today uh, and then more sold out yesterday. And then more were made available today. Here's my here's my thing is uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that quote with with a grain of salt. But if that's the case, and F1 is having a fiasco here, right? What did they expect when they're expanding to countries like Vietnam? They're racing in in Shanghai. They're racing in Singapore. Singapore isn't known for its terrible air, air quality. It, no. it, it's a very very clean and gorgeous uh, city Country. state. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But if you're moving to Vietnam and you're racing in Shanghai, 
you should have already had some plans in place because those places are notorious, uh, notorious for their smog. For, right. Yeah. Um, so this could be something that we see, especially with that contingency plan, which we may or may not see enacted and we don't know what it is. You could see that coming into play as F1 tries to increase its Asian reach. Yeah. And I hope they come up with a better contingency plan than being like, uh, we have one. We promise. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the other thing, too, is, uh, yeah, are they, what are they going to do, cancel the race? The last time that happened was Bahrain, I want to say, during the Arab Spring. Yeah. Uh, did they? Did they cancel? I thought they canceled I thought they, that race. They threatened to. I don't think they did. Did they? I don't know. Um, I was I was in high school at that time. So yeah, like, I think they. I didn't. I don't think they went through with it. I know that uh, the, when they went there, uh, Jensen Button was saying, "Oh, we should race." And yeah, it's like uh, might not be the best idea. There's yeah. a there's a bit of an uprising. But um, um, but this is something that might set the table for stuff that happens later in the year, right? Like this is could be a very uh, telling issue. Um, the the thing is, too, is they're not sure if the smog is going to hold uh, until the race, but the teams are already there and they're already dealing with it. And if something gets into the engine or the engine has to take that amount of literally dirty air, it could affect the engines in terms of like, hey, they need a deep cleaning or they need a this or they need a that. Right. Um, which could even out the field. The problem is, is that Singapore, uh, look at the track map. There's not a lot of the difference that an engine's going to make on this track. No, no, not much. But, um, you know, I think it's going to be interesting for the engines to be probably overheated due to dirty air. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have Red Bull making substantial changes to the car with uh, vents in the uh, shark fin. Uh, and then vents uh, in the side pods just behind the driver um, to cool off that uh, that power unit. You have you know teams. I don't know how that's going to be affected though with dirty air, actual dirty air. Yeah, literal dirty. Air. Literally. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's going to be. I think it's going to be an interesting weekend. It will be. Um, one last comment on Singapore. I think we touched on this last week, and then we'll kick it into our awards yeah. and a brand new segment. Um, is I I really like this track visually i think it's it's a really great track to have on the f1 calendar it's not the best racing track and i understand that it is pretty garbage in terms of like actual raceability and there's a lot of right hand corners but uh we touched on this earlier with uh with laguna seca you can have a couple of those and this is one of those tracks it's just a, a real feast for the eyes so i actually really do kind of like singapore i like to watch it I don't like to simulate it. Yes. Um, sector two gets me every time between turns 10 and 13. I eat, mm, hate yeah. that one. Uh, that's coming right out of the Singapore sling uh, yeah. is sector 10. It goes uh, right hand, uh, yeah, right hand third gear, or left hand third gear, right hand third gear. That's really more of a kink at turn 11. Turn 12 is another kink. if you mess that kink, kink up, mm-hmm. you're going to be screwed for 13. Which is which is a pretty tight, um, I would say, probably about 70-degree turn. Yeah. Um, it, right, or left-hander taking and second gear. But, uh, you know, I, I like the design. I like the idea of the, the track designers were like, this is a really unique and incredible area of the world. We have the privilege of designing a track in here. Let's make it do as many ridiculous things as possible, like going in front of a floating soccer stadium and then cutting through the actual the stands. Yes, that it is very. It cool. passes by the Helix Bridge. You can see it from the it's Marina Bay Sands. I'm glad that Mexico is still on the calendar because it goes through an old baseball stadium. Um, uh, oh, still functioning baseball stadium. Yeah. Actually, yeah, that's incredible. So cool. It's so cool. Um, I think the the key. For, I think what I like about Singapore though is those first few corners that are actually purpose built corners. Those are actually pretty good. I like one, two, three, and four. 
Sector one's great. Yeah. Sector two is where it's like you you lost me. Yeah. Uh, sector three, I think that was where a lot of the let's make it go in front of us, you know, floating soccer stadium. Yeah, it's, that's it's that's of, that's cool, but it's one, two, three, four, five, six, ninety degree turns. Ninety degree yeah. turns. It's like okay, boys, let's yeah. uh, let's <laughs> let's knock it off. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, make it easily. Make it like you know a, a really quick left right chicane through the stands. Not yeah. a <laughs> not, not, a, not 90, a full stop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I get it. But you know, like I said, Singapore wouldn't be an issue if it weren't if it weren't for the fact that we have a lot of other tracks that are hard to overtake. Yep. You can afford a Singapore. You can afford a Singapore and an Australia a couple times a year if you have other good tracks that, that are worth that are Absolutely. worth their weight. Yep. You know, so that's going to wrap up uh, our F one news segment. Let's kick it in to the awards. All right, so um, we have record of the week, people's champion, and uh, we have a new segment. What do you want to do first? Let's let's get out the let's knock off the. Uh... Awards. Let's talk off the awards. Yeah. All right. Do do we even have a people's champion this week? This week, no. And I think that we should probably shelve it because we can't just give it out to be giving it out. Right. Um, it's it's, a it's privilege. reserved. It's a privilege. It's reserved for special occasions uh-huh. when it is warranted. So the people's champions trophy will stay up yeah. on our shelf here this week uh, at the studio at one hundred and one ESPN. I cannot believe uh, that the higher ups let us put this shelf in and actually got a trophy. It was in a partnership with IKEA. <laughs> <laughs> So, but um, um, that, but that, the wreck of the week, I think I agree with you mm-hmm. for your nomination. So I was going to say uh, this actually sets the stage for uh, during the off season. We probably won't be giving out people's champions unless it's a really rare occasion. That's right. But anyway, that means it's time for the wreck of the week. Ah, listen to that beautiful Larry David esque music. Rip them. Is there is there any more? That is just the perfect the perfect noise. The perfect sound of just a comedy of errors, isn't exactly. it? Though? It is so perfectly selected. Larry David, we thank you for using uh, public domain music and for, for that forming show. forming my sense of humor. Yes. Uh, so, Wreck of the Week nominees, uh, this is a St. Louis-specific one. We're nominating Ride of the Century. Tell them what Ride of the Century is, Luke. So, we have, so there's, you know, we're a city. We're a pretty big city. And we have a contingent of uh, motorcycle riders that like to do stunts. And their crew it puts on an event called the Ride of the Century. Interestingly enough, these uh, geniuses label it Ride of the Century, despite the fact it's a yearly event. And uh, what that means is we have thousands. Uh, I think the peak attendance was three thousand. This year it was uh, fifteen hundred or two thousand. I think it was right at two thousand. Yeah. Um, stunt bike riders. Descend on our highways, on our streets. They clog up the entirety of downtown. Hooligans. Which doesn't flow traffic-wise very well already. No. Um, they clog it all up. They get on our highways, and, like, they'll, like, engage in fist fights with people. They'll, they'll, they'll literally, they'll be doing, you know, 85, 90, 100, cutting people off in traffic. Eight of them are doing. While popping a wheelie. While popping wheelies, while standing on there, flipping people, standing on their bike, flipping people off in the middle of our commute. Like, and we're not talking two or three of them. We're talking lines like Sturgis miles long. Miles long. Um, last year, they uh, broke onto the arch grounds at about 10 o'clock on one night and did donuts on the arch grounds, which is a national park. And uh, that really made me angry because uh, the arch is just kind of like a symbol of our city. It's like if you insulted the Statue of Liberty to a New Yorker, it's like you're not just insulting the, the it's thing like itself. You went to, it's, it's like you went to Staten Island. And you decided to light the, you know, you it's you were actually part of a uh, 
a pyro group and you went and you lit the grass around Staten Island on fire. Or Liberty it's, Island. Yeah, yeah, Liberty Island. It's yeah. A, not Staten Island. It's Liberty Island on fire. It's like, why? You've not what just, did you do? Why? You've not just insult. You've not just like desecrated the grounds, but you've insulted our pride as a city. Yep. Like that is the one thing we're like, yeah, that's us. That's yeah. cool. So yeah. when I saw this, I was thrilled because I'm like, oh my God, there's no one better to um, take the wreck of the week. Oh man. Like God. it's just. Every single one of you. Yeah. deserves it. If you're listening, don't do it again. Yeah, please. Ever. Please stop. I mean, like, don't be that guy. Yeah. Never be that guy. Here's the thing, too, is I work at a racetrack. I'm not going to lie. We have people who show up at our racetrack who illegally street race. That's that's one thing. But, like, it, I don't condone freaking, you know, flipping people off, you know, getting in fist fights with people who are honking at you because you're, you know, taking up 10 lanes of traffic and, you know, and you're not obeying long. the boundaries of the lane at all. Yeah. Um, you know, you're swerving into people. You're knocking off mirrors. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, realize what you're doing. Yeah. Read the room or if, the highway. If you want to go do sweet tricks and you want a big old space to do it in, uh, Worldwide Technologies Raceway at Gateway would be happy to provide you a large part, a large swath of of roads and parking lots for you to do whatever the heck you want, baby. And you just rent it out for a little bit get two or three bucks from everybody that wants to go and you'll be totally fine uh so i wanted to read off and um, sign a waiver yeah. that says if you get hurt no one is responsible for it but you <laughs> i wanted to read off this beautiful quote that i sent you earlier today from one of the ride of the century groups um quote it ain't about being fast it's about creating art no two people do the same wheelies oh my god yes you do <laughs> Yes, you do. And this is coming from somebody who, like, you know, when I go to races, they have stunt bike shows, you know, at the races. I'm like, those are pretty cool, but, like, <laughs> really? Not on the highway it's, 90 miles an hour when you're standing on the bike and you're no longer in control of it. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just, oh, it is it is a, it is a disaster every year. Stop clogging up our streets, please. Dumpster so, fire. So, uh, yeah, Ride of the Century gets uh, gets this week's Wreck of the Week nominee and, and victory. Congratulations on earning the ire of three million local residents. <laughs> but Luke, here's the thing. Yeah. You just had a bit of a dissertation mm-hmm. on why this was irritating to yes. both of us. But why don't you introduce us to our next segment? Our next segment is a segment I used to do in college. It's called Luke's Old Man Rant. And I need to get a, a nice little like sound to go behind that. A nice little a song from Up. Oh the old yeah, man song from yeah. Up. Yes. <laughs> also, honestly, the uh, the frolic song could could oh, work here go. too. Bum, yeah. Bum, bum, yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, so let's discuss the rules. Tim, you will present a ridiculous idea. We can crowdsource that idea. It's no, it's no biggie. And the key is, is that I cannot know what the idea is. Okay. Yep. You have to pitch it to me. I only get a couple seconds of thought time, but I basically have to argue for said idea for a minute and a half. And then you will award points as freely as you can uh, for how persuasive or good said argument was or how, how I've handled that, the ability to argue. You present me with a ridiculous idea. I just got to argue for it. And I'm all ready for this. This is my gift is, is arguing is petty arguments. I literally I was had jury duty the other week and I really wanted to get picked because I love long, drawn out petty arguments. And that's really all a court case is. You are the only person I have ever heard of to want to go on jury duty I, I and everybody listening 
agrees with me. I volunteered uh, two or three times in high school for mock jury uh, that like law students put on, uh, and I got extra credit that I didn't need, but I was like, this is kind of fun. To anyone listening who disagrees with us, tweet at us yeah. at TimSTLF1. At or- FormationLab101. <laughs> And uh, give me give me a ridiculous idea, Tim. What was our ridiculous thing last week? We we did a little test run. Uh, it was uh, that you're in support of a 30 race calendar. 30 race calendar. Yep. Got it. Uh, so hit me with something. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for whatever you throw at me. Okay, within, let's see. Within reason. All new tracks uh-huh. introduced to the F1 and the IndyCar circuit. Uh huh. Must. Street circuits. All right, here's the thing. We talked last week about how, you know, a 30 race calendar increases local interest in a race and increases eyes on the product. And here's the thing street circuits, man, it's all about what you can create within the confines of limitation. And that's the beauty of it is that sometimes you get really incredible tracks that flow out and incredible corners that people just race on, right? Plus the fact that they're local, you can in, you can put together an incredible local festival of speed a la Long Beach together every Did you just week. use a la? Yes. Like a la blah, blah, blah. Yes. That's awesome. Sorry, go ahead. A la Long Beach every week of the circuit. And who doesn't want a Long Beach GP every single week, all right? The, the, that's the beauty is they're to the people. How are you going to get new people to the races when you got to travel all the way out into the boonies to go to circuit spa franco shops you're not getting any new people you're getting new people with a downtown london race who are like why are my streets blocked off i'm curious let's go see it all right baku has already provided a number a, a, a litany of incredible races for us to watch and you know what the real f1 fans we watch baku because we're like we don't know what's going to go on how incredible would an entire calendar of unpredictability of 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 wildness be that has local fan support with an entire event around it be that would be incredible and not only that but the latest purpose-built circuits are all trash all right what would you rather have another baku or would you rather have another russia would you rather have, you know, another Russia, another Shanghai? Huh? Yeah, that's really working out for you there. We're going to build a new trash one over in Brazil that looks like it's just not going to be able to replace the original one. My point is, is that all the classic, beautiful circuits, uh, you don't build those anymore and you can't build those anymore. So you might as well transition into pure Lord chaos with local support, local eyes on people and an increased interest in the support. It's good. I probably would have hit. Tourism a little harder. Tourism would have been good. Yeah, you're right around the biomass, so why not be able to showcase new places and have Mm -hmm. it be part of their tourism board and have them buy in? What small kid does not want to see an F1 car run through the Arc de Triomphe? (laughs) Literally through it. (laughs) Yeah, literally (laughs) through it. Name me a kid who doesn't want to Every see an F one car. Parisian is spitting out their wine right now. <laughs> Every I'm a, and I just made you know made a comment. You know, it's, I, I'm just assuming that Parisians are drinking wine right now because that's what they do. You know what? Though we don't know that because the circuit is located in the middle of nowhere in P- Circuit Paul Ricard. If we we would know more about your local culture, about your tourism, about what the way you live, if you were located in a downtown France, I have been told by Anthony Bourdain in some book or a TV episode he had. That, oh, he personally told you. Yeah, yeah, that's he personally told me through that uh, medium that uh, Parisians uh, eat an extraordinary amount of red meat. 
That's awesome. That's a that's, a, know, that's, a, right? that's people after my own heart. They're just, they're just totally metal over there, yeah, and this awesome. is a French town, so that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, but uh, yeah, but so good rant. Yeah. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Was I persuasive? Absolutely. Okay. Oh yeah. All right. Uh, tweet at us. Email us uh, at the at the formation lab at one hundred one espn dot com. Tell me how I did. Uh, tweet at Tim at Tim SCLF one for new. Wild and crazy ideas. Send them all to me. Uh, my inbox is open. <laughs> this could be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, is like I said, I think I just have a gift for being able to ridiculously argue stupid things. Oh, next week's one. Oh, do you? Do you? Yeah. Oh, you can't tell me, but I really want to know. <laughs> oh, all right. All right. Well, uh, I think that's it. I think that's all we have. So, uh all. Next without further ado. Yeah, without further ado, next week we have Singapore. Uh, next week we have the IndyCar uh, finale. Uh, I wanted to say uh, our partnership with the Outlap, Outlap F1 podcast, we have to put that on, on hold uh, for the time being. We have an issue in setting up a couple There's of some them. Technical, uh, technical hurdles to overcome. Yeah, this is still a new studio here at Hubbard Radio St. Louis, so um, we have to figure out how to... Uh, Route, Sync up. route yep. some certain things because obviously we're not going to make them drive all the way down from Chicago to St. Louis for this. Come on. That's that's not a fun drive. We talked no. about how not fun a, uh, Kansas City, St. Louis is. That is even less fun. But uh, anyway, so uh, I think that's going to wrap it up. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Buckle up, because Metro is bringing you the best deal in wireless. Switch to Metro and get your choice of two awesome free phones from top brands like Samsung and LG with huge HD screens and tons of memory for all your pics and videos. So hurry into Metro and get your awesome free phones only at Metro. Plus sales tax and activation fee. Requires port and of eligible number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Limit four per account or household. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions.